Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks so much for joining us. There's a lot to talk about. I could almost silo things into categories. There's so much. There's Clarence Thomas. There's Donald Trump. There's the Proud Boys. There's Tucker Carlson. There's Texas. Did I leave anything out? Um, Hope not anyway. Let's start with the state of Texas. The Lone Star State has seen more than its share of lunacy of late. Yet three separate stories stand out. First, there's the one about the guy who sued three of his ex-wife's friends for helping her to get an abortion. An abortion. My God. Sounds whack, right? It's true. Marcus Silva used the Texas law that says a termination of pregnancy qualifies as wrongful death, as well as the one that deputizes citizens to sue in order to stop abortions. Silva is suing for a million dollars each. That's his wife's friends, ex-wife's friends. And he got his information by reading his ex-wife's text messages on her phone. Now, he filed the suit in March, and last week, two of the three women named in it fought back by suing him. They allege he violated their privacy, which would seem to be more or less a slam dunk. This has the possibility of being a landmark ruling any way it's decided. It's pretty obvious that he wouldn't be able to bring a suit, that's Marcus Silva, uh, had he not invaded his ex-wife's pregnancy and that of the three women he's suing. The pregnancy was terminated by the use of pills, one of which Silva, the husband, says he found in his ex-wife's purse. Now, this is real interesting because this is all about his ex-wife. And I assume he must think he has some kind of right to fatherhood. Otherwise, why would he sue his ex-wife? Or actually, he didn't sue his ex-wife. But why would he sue three of her friends for facilitating an abortion? Which, by the way, happened before Texas passed its virtual ban on abortions. Under normal circumstances, you might think this was a plot for a bad TV movie. Sadly, it is not. It goes back to something I told you more than once in previous episodes. Anti-abortionists will stop at nothing to determine what women can do with their own bodies. The final permutation here is that they want a fetus to have the same rights as an adult, meaning abortion would be murder. Under Texas law, it appears the right to privacy is trumped by trying to end a pregnancy. And there's more. There's a sense of possession in a husband going through his wife's purse to find evidence that she had an abortion. And oh yeah, he's not suing her, by the way. It's about possession, possession of women. And it's ugly, it's old, and the people who make these laws are not fit to hold public office, period. Speaking of public office, the Texas legislature is about to send a bill to the governor's desk that would allow, allow, that is, the Secretary of State to redo elections, not statewide, but in Harris County, home to 5 million people, including the city of Houston, under certain circumstances. Now, the state has 253 different counties, but the bill was crafted in such a way that only Harris County is subject to its provisions, which include giving the Secretary of State the power 
to void election results. It's no accident that Harris County has a large cohort of Democratic voters. Make no mistake, this is little more than voter suppression at its absolute worst. Republicans in the Texas Senate can twist it any way they want, talking about paper ballots and a 2% threshold for overturning an election, but in stark terms, it's nothing more than voter suppression, and they know it. It will be interesting to see if it passes legal muster once signed into law. But of course, the Texas legislature can find time to disenfranchise residents of a county of 5 million, but they cannot figure out a way to keep guns out of the hands of people who use them to kill. At least nine people were shot and killed at a mall in Allen, Texas over last weekend. The litany of deaths by mass shootings continues to pile up. In this case, a police officer in an unrelated investigation in that same mall where these shootings took place ended up shooting and killing the gunman. Police say he was acting alone. According to the Gun Violence Archive, a database of shootings in the U.S., there have been 199 mass shootings, which it defines as the shooting of at least four people so far in 2023. There were a particularly deadly spate of large-scale shootings just this past week. Five people killed in Cleveland, Texas, not Ohio, Texas, after a person was asked by neighbors to stop shooting in his yard. He was captured after a multi-day manhunt. That man, by the way, had help in evading capture for four days before he was found hiding in a closet under a pile of laundry. On Monday, a registered sex offender fatally shot six people, including his wife and three of her children near Tulsa, Oklahoma, before turning the gun on himself. On Wednesday, a, govern a gunman, that is, opened fire at a medical office building in Atlanta, killing one and injuring four others. That, too, led to a manhunt before the suspect was caught. Think about that for a minute. I know I say that a lot, but think about this. 199 mass shootings since the beginning of the year, and we're not even halfway through it yet. And how does the congressman who represents Allen, Texas, where those people were shot in the mall, how does he respond? Congressman Keith Self told CNN, those who want more than thoughts and prayers, quoting here, don't believe in Almighty God, who is absolutely in control of our lives. He blames mental health issues. Does he not realize letting people with mental health problems have guns is also the problem? Those who lean on the thoughts and prayers mantra are deluding themselves and the people they're elected to serve. And all the while acting as if trampling on gay and transgender rights is more important than the lives of young men and women. The president of Brady, the gun violence prevention organization, has it right. Chris Brown says... There is no safe space from gun violence in America. That's something to think about, too. No safe space anywhere in the good old USA. It's obvious now that the gun lobby has nothing more than thoughts and prayers for the victims of gun violence. Those thoughts and prayers follow them. Follow the gun lobby all the way to the bank. Up next... 
Does Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas have any shame at all? If you answered no, we'll tell you why. This is The Intersection. It's springtime and you're listening to Mark Riley, the intersection of politics and culture. Welcome back to The Intersection. Justice Clarence Thomas has paid a pretty decent sum to sit on the high court. You wouldn't know it, though. The man takes and takes from whoever will give whatever he might need. Private school tuition for his great-nephew? Not a problem. Thomas was the young man's guardian. He called on his old friend, the billionaire donor Harlan Crow. You know, the man who plied Thomas with gifts and luxury travel. The justices' friends say he didn't have to disclose that particular gift, that's the tuition part, something about only having to do that in the case of immediate family. Is it splitting hairs to say guardians don't count? No matter. Thomas doesn't have to say, or doesn't have to disclose, according to him, much of anything. He's got friends who actually have thrown up a shield of defense for him. Several experts contacted by the New York Times say that that gift should have been disclosed. And yet, the extent of Clarence Thomas's grifts, and I say grifts, not gifts, grifts, which some may think too strong a word, but not me, has another component. This time, it involves his wife, Jenny, as so often it seems to. The Washington Post reports that judicial activist Leonard Leo directed several thousand dollars of consulting work to Mrs. Thomas, or to Ms. Thomas, I should say, specifically directing that her name be left out of the transaction. Way back in 2012, Leo directed the later-to-be-infamous Kellyanne Conway to bill a nonprofit he advised $25,000 and send the money to Ginny Thomas. The group, the Nonprofit Judicial Education Project, filed a brief before the Supreme Court in a voting rights case, specifically the one where the High Court invalidated two provisions of the Voting Rights Act. The vote was five to four. And guess which way Clarence Thomas voted? Sadly, Supreme Court justices are largely unaccountable. While they have to disclose their spouse's income, they don't have to disclose who their spouse's clients are. What Clarence Thomas has done undermines not just the Supreme Court, but American justice in the macro sense. He seems to think conflicts of interest are for somebody else, or maybe suckers, I don't know. Worse still, he has enablers in the shadow world of right-wing politics and ideology, not just with people who are willing to fund him and whoever else, he might need or ask to be funded, but also, and nobody wants to begrudge Clarence Thomas giving his great nephew enough money to go to a private school. Nobody, least of all me, I went to a private school and I believe in education, the best education you can get. So Clarence Thomas prevailed on a friend to get him the best education money can buy. Thing is, this is a guy who donates to all manner of conservative causes. Now, that in and of itself may not be a bad thing either. He may have 
certainly a right to donate to whoever he wants. But when it comes to paying off a Supreme Court justice's wife and then saying in a memo, don't mention Ginny, that's problematic. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I won't say it makes my skin crawl, but it does bring up some questions. If you go back over some of the cases the court has heard, questions could be rightly raised about whether Clarence Thomas should have recused himself. But the issue isn't just Clarence Thomas. There's still the issue of three Trump-appointed justices telling senators in their confirmation hearings that Roe v. Wade was settled law, and then promptly turning around and gutting it. Once upon a time, there was talk about expanding the court. Given what we now know about Clarence Thomas, maybe it's time to take a second look. Now let's take a look at the Proud Boys, the people who proudly played a major role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Four of their number have been convicted of seditious conspiracy for plotting to keep Donald Trump in power. A fifth defendant was acquitted of seditious conspiracy, but found guilty of four other serious felonies. The quartet faced maximum prison terms of up to 50 years. Unlike the Oath Keepers, six of whom has, have already been found guilty of sedition, the Proud Boys still exist as a loose group of right-wing racist anti-Semites. And this isn't over yet. It could spell bad road for Donald Trump. Keep in mind that January 6th took place, if not at his behest, and there's some question about that, at least with his tacit approval. My guess is nobody's ever going to prosecute Trump for seditious conspiracy, but one can only hope. And finally for this episode, you don't like Biden? You don't like Trump? What about a third party? And just what got Tucker Carlson fired from Fox News? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. New York Times columnist Gail Collins wrote a recent piece urging her readers not to give in to the impulse to vote for third-party presidential candidate if they don't like Joe Biden or Donald Trump, assuming Trump is the nominee of the Republicans. Her rationale is that third parties often cost Democrats the presidency. She also might add that Democrats have benefited from third parties. Can you say Bill Clinton? The source of her ire is actually legit in this one case. A possible third party challenge this time could come from a group called No Labels. Its leader is none other than former senator and presidential candidate himself, Joe Lieberman. He served as a Democrat, ran as a Democrat, then spoke at a subsequent Republican National Convention. Not exactly a resume that would empower him to say what the American people want, which he does. He said they're sick and tired of Trump and Biden, and they want a third party. No matter. Collins has assumed the role of canary in the coal mine, reminding her readers of third parties' past and the damage they inflicted. I know and respect many people who take the same view as Gail Collins. I just don't happen to be one of them. 
I believe anyone who can qualify to run for any office ought to run, regardless of party affiliation. I don't believe Democrats or Republicans have any business bullying people out of running as a third party candidate or a fourth or a fifth. I think such efforts, that is, are anti-democratic. That's democratic with a small d. If a mainstream candidate is facing a challenge from a third-party insurgent, hone your message. Speak to the genuine concerns of people and beat any and all comers. Jill Collins talks about the depressing compromises that come with a two-party democracy. Why? Why should the public have to suffer that. Our final bit to this episode comes from the recently deposed Tucker Carlson. It's well known that Carlson's rhetoric has both a public and private side. Turns out a text sent to a producer in the wake of the January 6th insurrection, there it is again, led to a chain of events that eventually cost him his job. This is despite his being the highest rated talk host on Fox News. The text was about a group of white men who attacked what he called, quote, an Antifa kid. His exact quote was, jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. He went on, but you can see the window into this guy's soul. The Fox board got a hold of that text on the eve of the jury trial in the Dominion Voting Systems case, just before. You can maybe see the problem. The board told Fox executives it was engaging an outside law firm to probe Carlson's conduct. That investigation found other problems, including some texts many might find crude at best, misogynistic at worst. All told, it wasn't Carlson's public espousal of the great replacement theory, which I'm not going to explain to people because I find it repugnant, or any of his other crazed polemic that got him canned. It was simply that the higher-ups thought he might cost them serious money in the Dominion case. Isn't it pretty much always about money? Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.